Maguire, Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bursts through the defence. Just watch this. Spillane gathers beautifully. In go the Irish forwards. This is Lennon. Bursting into the 22. Back to Bradley. Back to Kiernan. The drop of goal is over. Michael Kiernan has done it. Good evening and welcome to the Mullcast. Good evening. Good evening. Leinster beat Munster in a really, really tight game that ended up being, uh, I think... A moral loss for Leinster? Yeah, yeah. A morale loss? Uh, a moral loss. I think in some senses there was a, uh, there was an expectation that Leinster were going to roll over Munster a lot by a lot larger of a margin than they ended up doing. So it ended up being quite tight. But at the end of the day, didn't Leinster win? Yeah, so that's a good point. They did win. Um, Leinster played a very sloppy first half. Uh, I I watched a recording of it, and I think I counted like seven handling errors in the first half alone. So by handling errors, drops, passes into touch, forward passes, um, and it, it in that regard, it was it was a frustrating first half for Leinster fans. Not that there wasn't good rugby because certainly Munster started extremely well with great carries, uh, both close in, getting frequently getting over the gain line, and also showed great pace and then a great continuity. And by continuity, I mean passing out of contact, making difficult passes out of contact to uh, score an exceptionally good first try. Um, in the second half from Leinster was, was... Like, Leinster actually had already taken... They'd already taken the lead by the end of the first half and wouldn't relinquish it. And their second half was was a was a better um, a, a better version of Leinster. Still not quite uh, hitting their straps. No, not quite. Still not hitting their straps, but with enough uh, good individual play and some useful teamwork uh, to ensure that they came away as winners. Um, as you mentioned before, almost a it seemed like um, certainly it's being portrayed and it, to some degrees it did seem like a moral victory for Munster but I would point out that you know Munster are the champions the league champions and caught Leinster playing playing poorly and a, a, you know quite a, a performance that made them quite vulnerable and uh, couldn't get over the line so there's, there's certainly, I think, two, two quite different perspectives on that game. I said to you during the game, or maybe just after the game, it felt like Munster uh, had a specific plan for the match, whereas Leinster just thought they'd turn up and play like Leinster to win it. Do you think that's a fair characterization of the game? Um, I thought I thought Munster played like Munster. Um, as as well, and I thought Munster played. I thought Munster played well. Like I guess that after the match, my my immediate reaction was kind of similar to what a lot of people came to. And then the further away I got from it, I'm pretty the the bit of contrarianism in me reacted to, um, you know what Roundtree's response was and the general mood that it had been a great result for Munster. So. I thought that the the young players from Munster played, showed particularly well. And you sort of think to yourself, look, you know, at, at an underage level, Munster and Leinster have, have different demographic profiles and they're not going to get... Munster aren't going to have 15 guys, typically, on average, as good as Leinster's 15 guys because it's just smaller demographics that you're picking from. But if their top two guys from each team play and then graduate to the senior team, and those top two guys are good, the composite team ends up being very strong, and certainly that's what it looked like happening, you know? Um, and some of it you're sort of attributing, you know, about you, I was attributing in my head, like I was I was struck by how big Gleeson was when he came on, I was there going, Jesus, he's the size of Coombs, and like you've, I've seen, seen him play for the 20s, and you go, like, he's, he's a baller, like he's, he's a super rugby player, and then he's, he's huge, and you go, like... 
like this this is brilliant for Ireland. It's great for Munster, but like it's it's brilliant for Ireland to have a guy like him coming through. Tom O'Hearn, I was very excited with him. He was an under twenty. He was another guy who just struck me like how big he was, how tall he was. Um, didn't actually pick off that many lineouts, but put pressure on loads of Leinster lineouts. He's like a big octopus in in the lineout. Um, in opposition, I think he's a second row rather than number six. Um, in terms of playing, I was very impressed with Hodnett. I was kind of impressed with with Casey, who I was a big fan of when he was twenty. I'm like I'm a huge fan of Peter Stringer to the extent that I'd have Peter Stringer and Connor Murray much closer together than most other people would have them. Um, I, I don't think there's much in it. Like Stringer was just such a clever player. I don't think Casey's as good as Stringer, but he's really added try scoring to his bow and particularly running support lines as a halfback, which is what, like one of the things, one of the many, many things that Antoine Dupont does really well, but one of the things he does superbly is he just, he, he ends up on the, he ends up taking an important pass so often because his fitness is really good, because his game reading is really good. And if that's something that Casey's added to his game, um, it, it'll stand to him for ages because his fitness is very good. So for all that, I just felt Leinster made an awful lot of mistakes and still won, which puts them in a great position on the table because when everything's totted up, you want to be playing at home in the URC as, as far as you possibly can in, in the knockouts. And um, I guess kind of job done for Leinster's point of view. So I, to go back to your original question, no, I, th I thought they both played their own game, really. What, what specifically did you think that Munster did to maybe counteract maybe Leinster? Maybe it's, it's more that Munster's game is based around uh, Jack Lynch, that they were so particularly effective at stopping long, continuous plays or phases of Leinster play by breaking it up with jackals and then the fact that they had picked such a large uh a big player in, uh, to threaten the line out as well they, like you said they didn't necessarily get at it but it just seemed like he was an unusual selection at six and it was like maybe that's a device to break up that worked i thought um i thought that that uh Ahern Ahern did better at six than i thought he would he's like he's so tall that um, I sort of thought if it was if it was possible for like six foot eight or six foot nine guys, he's I don't know what he is. He's super tall to play at six. Like South Africa would have done. <laughs> like Peter Stephen Toy is only six six and a half. You know, um, Aaron impressed me. Uh, Hodnett was excellent over the ball, and and Tyke Byrne is obviously you, you know you need to get two men hitting him all the time, which mostly Leinster did. Uh, he had a good strip on Joe McCarthy uh, in the first half under the sticks. Um, so I thought that Munster, I thought that they were livelier, uh, firier at the start than Leinster were. Like Leinster, Leinster typically start games really well. Uh, and in this one, they were, they were on the back foot. F for the first quarter, it seemed like they couldn't put they couldn't put phases together, mostly through, like not exclusively through knock-ons, but um, there was there was knock-ons and there were four passes more than you'd normally see in say three games for Leinster, um, three not at the start of the season, like three mid-season games, and um, so I I certainly thought Munster, but I. Munster, apart from Connor Murray's very good break quite late in the game, then you know Leinster got more into the swing of things, and and uh, I didn't think Munster at the end. I thought they'd shot all their arrows, like when they were attacking in the Leinster twenty-two, they were just getting knocked backwards by Leinster, and there was two occasions of multiple phases where they were just getting hit backwards. Um, so, yeah, it was it was an interesting game. I felt a little bit overrated. I felt, in in terms of the write-ups that I read from Thornley at all, I'm not having a specific quote of Thornley. I can get. It was a big atmosphere. There was close to fifty thousand people in the stadium, and it was um, you know what what people say after Six Nations, their team doesn't win. Not a classic, <laughs> but it, it certainly wasn't a classic because, like Lancer were really ragged in the first half, and. 
I, I felt that on the broadcast I watched the recording of, they go, Munster were putting them under pressure. Going, Most of those errors were committed not under pressure. Passes being thrown into touch twice, once very late in the first half, once very early in the second half. Jimmy O'Brien throwing a four pass to Robbie. James Ryan knocking on the ball. Tyke Furlan knocking on the ball. Like these are these are outside of contact. Like it's they're not contact errors. So in tennis, unforced errors, but, but I would say in rugby, like non-contact errors. Hugo and and Frawley messing up a a catch pass thing off a kick. Jimmy O'Brien dropped a few. So like there was just a lot more errors than you uh, certainly I would associate. Anybody really would associate with Leinster and rustiness. Some players very rusty. I felt Robbie Henshaw had probably the quietest game I've ever seen from Jack Cohn on the other hand, hit the ground running. Um, but a team that hasn't played together under this coach, um, and uh, like they might have played together quite a bit under Andy Farrell, but it's a different, it's a different kettle of fish. It's a, sorry, it's a different scenario. But with that said, I'll just uh, sort of lead on to this. Like, huge state of flux in the Leinster coaching ranks. Uh, Nina Burr has, has, has only just arrived. So Goodman's, he outlined already how his role has changed. He spent four of the last five months coaching a different team. Sean O'Brien is a contact skills coach, being a defense coach for the first month of like a, a a coaching career that's only really about 13 months old. So I think that Lens are now second in the league, one point behind Glasgow. Um, possibly Leo Cullen hasn't got enough credit for, you know, he's he has the pieces not in place, but he has them all contracted. He's moving them into place, and Leinster really haven't lost ground on anybody. So, he, like, uh, you know, while the display itself wasn't, uh, perfect. And while Leinster's start to the season hasn't been, they haven't, they haven't uh, like exploded out of the blocks. They're still in a very good position. Yeah, it's funny. I, I started to play a bit of chess, and there's there's a setup that was called Alakine's Cannon, where this grandmaster got two rooks and a queen in the same file. I think it's called, and it it led to his opponent resigning. Um, because he could just put this attack on, so I guess that that's part of it is is just that like Cullen's lined up a Leinster team that was missing an awful lot of players from the beginning of the season. So mm-hmm. you look at like the Glasgow team, and, like Leinster lost that match, but you look at the Glasgow team that Leinster played with, I think six Scottish internationals, maybe seven Scottish internationals, and like Leinster was you know second team, and you're sort of going like we become so accustomed to Leinster's second team, beating other guys. But like not always with seven Scottish internationals. Mm. Like Glasgow are good in, in Scotland. So like Glasgow are top of the league at the moment. So just going back to the match, I kind of I could see why Roundtree is, is confident at the moment, Like apart from just the age profile of the players, the confidence that they've got, the fact that they are defending league's champions, is that I was kind of surprised with some of the selections. Not, not that they were absolutely bonkers or seemed to garner much controversy, but... I would have thought that he'd play Ahern at second row and play Ty Byrne at six. So did I. Which is yeah. the obvious one, because like Byrne is just so strong in the jackal. And like he, you know, when he plays in the back row, he's, he's got more opportunity to do it. But he's also such a good player in the loose, because he's, like, he's such a super footballer, that you don't run his engine down as much when you play him in the back row. And you give him just more opportunity to do it. And he's playing beside Jean Klein, who's just a big, strong man. Like So Tom Ahern isn't going to have to deal with the creek and scrum now one of the things that that sort of struck me one of the little vignettes that when you're at the match you see is that um there was a break in play and ty Byrne had the ball and joe mccarthy went on to him and like the ref has just blown up his whistle as mccarthy was getting to burn and mccarthy went to rip the ball from burn and burn didn't give up on it burn ripped it back from mccarthy and mm-hmm. it was kind of like even in during the break and play i'm not fucking giving this to you <laughs> like, i saw that as well this is, yeah this is my jersey and the other one was picking Zebo at fullback. And I said it to you beforehand. I says, can't believe he's picking Zebo at fullback. You have to run loads at fullback. I think Zebo's more of a, a pundit now. So I was kind of amazed to see how sharp Zebo looked, how threatening he looked with the ball. But I also couldn't figure out why he picked Shane Daly and Zebo on the same team and played Zebo at fullback. And then, 
like after 53 minutes, or was it 56? I'll be conservative. I'll say 56 minutes. Zebo was like, he was stretching his calves all the time. Mm-hmm. And he, he'd started stretching them at the end of the first half. Like, you know, so you sort of understand playing, you know, 30-something, maybe 40-something minutes with breaks and all that of, of running around a fullback. Um, and then just before Larmer scored his try, like he'd been, he'd been stretching these for eight minutes and he was hobbling around the place. And I was saying to myself, I hope Larmer or Jimmy comes in from their wings and like they've got a call or like they just say, fucking run at Zebo. Or like somebody notices this, but like the back three players, because they can obviously see it. And I was I was saying to you all the way through, like they just have to run at Zebo. So they go away from Zebo's wing and I'd be like, what the fuck are they doing going away from him? And then Gibbo cut back and through this huge bounce pass. So I don't know, like does Gibbo notice that or did they call it in? But it can't have been by accident. And like Munster had, what's your man's name? Was it O'Sullivan? Who's, who's the back three sub that they brought Shane on? McCarthy. Shane, Shane McCarthy. McCarthy yeah. Always called him yeah, Shane McCarthy on the touchline, like ready to go. They knew. Like he, he was, before the line, he was, McCarthy was on the touchline standing there before Kelleher threw the ball into the line. Like Munster knew. Um, and they essentially gifted them seven points with that. Yeah. Like just by keeping them on the pitch. Now, like it took good game vision from, from Gibson Park to exploit it. But it was a surprise selection in the first place. And picking up a fullback, I was amazed by. Yeah, I I was going to, I was going to wonder if um, I was going to put down Zebo when like in our when I was texting you before this uh, this morning, and I I sort of something caught my my mind in the interim because like when you see him with, running with the ball and his his uh, his line break for their try, and you're going like, Jesus, Zebo so talented. And he's oh, been yeah. so talented for so long. And he's still talented. Yeah. And he's a great runner with the ball and he passes well. You know? And he scores tries. And he scores tries. And you're going, like, Almost as many as Ferg Grant um, But, but, like, the problem with Zebo from, you know, from sort of the outset of his career has been his, you know, his uh, sort of professionalism, his approach to his fitness. And in this. Like he was, he tried to make a tackle on Jordan Larmer, and he was like fucking tired, and it was a really weak attempt at attack. And as you say, like I was looking at him because I just strained my calf earlier that morning. I was feeling his pain. He was he was stretching them out, and I was thinking like Zebo. I go, I was surprised he was still on at that stage because I remember in the game against the game against Toulouse that went into extra time, that guy didn't. They didn't sort of. They panned him a good few times in that when he was stretching his calves and like rubbing his feet during the game. He going, dude is so tired for a pro rugby player. You know, um, you're going like he's like the fitness, the fitness piece is just it's like it's been there for about two seasons out of 12. You so know? it'll be really interesting to see which way Rantree uses him during the season because the guy would definitely score tries for you. Yeah. Like he's 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 just a super runner, and he's a great guy to have on the pitch, and a great guy to have in a squad. Like even his bearing, his body language, everything about him. Like he comes across really well in the telly. Mm. He has this confidence. Like it's, uh, I'm watching two things about Beckham at the moment, but one of them Owen was watching more of it. So there's there's a four part. I think it's on Disney, and it's about Beckham going back as a mentor to his boyhood club, and they're like they're not great, and. One of the things that he preaches, probably the thing he preaches the most is just the need for confidence. And he's he's like, like you need to be confident. You know, you need to like have your chest out. And you need like you need to own it. And you need to be vocal. And like, you know, you need to understand how good you are. And it's kind of striking because Beckham comes across really well. Now you're there going, like he's I think he's the executive producer. Like it's mm-hmm. his star vehicle for him. Like he'd want to come across really well, you know. They can cut this as many times as they want. But he does it's 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 almost like that. It's it's like confidence is a muscle that you can train. Is is yeah. kind of what comes across from rather than just the byproduct of being really good at something. You go like, oh, do you have the right to be confident? And it's like, no, 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 no. Be confident first. Yeah, just be confident first. Confident first. And you, the other stuff can catch up. And then the other stuff catches up. Yeah. And you kind of think of it, and you go, shit, like Tom Brady. Yeah. You know, like Joe Namath, like you know, and. 
you go well like where they go like it's it's what's that quote from bears like and i would get it wrong probably but like you know I'm not like this because I'm in Van Halen. I'm in Van Halen because I'm like this. Have I got that the right way around? I can't remember. But like that, that's Richie's quote. And you sort of go, where did he get this from? And you go, no, I think it's an, I think it's an original one. And you go, man, that is kind of deep and kind of not. <laughs> but it's a great line. It's a good Even line. Even if I've got it the wrong way around, it almost doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, do you think Leinster would have kick the ball more at Zebo or tested him more in the pitch if they'd had their kicking out half on the pitch? Oh, good question, yeah. Um, I thought that was going to be a feature of our play. It would be like, make him run around the backfield even more. Yeah, and our kicking game wasn't good. Like, Ross, when he was on, had a good long range, like, entomac type kick down the middle of the sticks, bounced twice, didn't quite get to their line. You know, and puts them in an invidious position where you're right back at your line, all your team are in front of you. And unless you run it out into a well-prepared Leinster defence, you're essentially going to kick it into touch. Um, but Ross only lasted five, six minutes uh, and went off with an, went off with what I thought at the time was a, a broken arm and then was shown later on the television with uh, an ice bag up on his, on his sort of bicep, tricep area. So I don't know, the, like... I don't know what the injury is. It doesn't look good. Um, but with that said, Frawley came on as the sort of sole inside slash outside back in the 6-2 split, having not played out of half for Leinster in quite a while and performed really well. Um, as though he'd been playing out half a lot more than, than he has. Um but you you had some thoughts on the Burns and Frawley and uh, Prendergast and where they all sit beside each other in terms of Leinster. Yeah, well, so... I, I was just going to say about Frawley, he's a, he is a guy who has been selected very frequently for Leinster, though. And I know he didn't say, for example, come on in the Champions Cup final where he came on in... Garbage time. Garbage yeah. time. But, but it wasn't really any garbage time that, I suppose, but came on late. Um, he has been getting picked an awful lot, but he's been getting picked at 23 or at 15 or at occasionally at 12. Yeah, mostly 12 for until this season. And when he had been getting picked at 10, he would seem to be getting in and getting out straight away by getting injured. And that, that and then you've often said uh, versatility is a blessing until it's a curse. And it seems like a guy who either he accepted he was going to be a, a versatile uh, utility back or he just got lumped with it. I, I've got really mixed feelings about Frawley's performance at the weekend as a sub. So when he arrived into the Leinster squad, I was very excited by the fact that he'd been playing first rugby at Scaries when he was 17, that he wasn't coming from the school's background. So I kind of think a lot of those guys who come from club and don't come from Michaels or Rock have, have much more upside because, and I'm sure like I've seen like a feeling of deja vu, because they haven't been as highly drilled and as highly trained. But then you sort of look at it and you go, shit, like it, it hasn't really played out like that. Like, that coaching and conditioning that you get at a young age actually stands to you. It's like, you know, oh, this guy's got a great voice, but he's never been classically trained, whereas this guy actually knows how to sing. So it's only a matter of time before the guy with a great voice overtakes him, and you go, doesn't doesn't necessarily always work at it like that. So that, that upside, to my mind, didn't appear. I was really excited, as I said, when he came on the scene, he was playing 10. I thought once he got in there, he'd just blow Ross Byrne out of the water because he's a much better athlete than Ross Byrne. But then you see them in the same match, you see them week after week, and you go, Ross Byrne is a better 10 than Kieran Frawley is. Like He just organizes people around him better. Um, the team plays better when he's on. He, he, he doesn't get trapped in stuff. Um, like he kicks... He uses his kicking game better, and even though he's just not as good an athlete, he's he's a better ten. So then you kind of go, well, what do you do with Frawley? 
And then Leinster moved him to 12, and then we talked about him being picked at fullback because he gives him a better opportunity to play as that second receiver wider out. You basically get an op, like you get a receiver both sides of the breakdown whenever you want, and you can play guys off it. As Leinster did so well with Carberry and Sexton when Carberry was at Leinster. And when, so the reason I've mixed feelings about this is that I've, I've kind of ruled Frawley out as an out half. And so when you see him play really well, you're sort of going, I know, like, I knew he was good, but I've, I've got him ruled out of consideration at 10. So you're sort of going, like, is, is it a red herring? Do you, do you get brought down uh, basically a blind alley by a guy playing, making a good performance as a sub against a team that hasn't prepared for him to play the entire game at 10? Like, they've prepped for Ross Byrne to be there, and all of a sudden they're... They're having to defend Kieran Frawley, and Frawley looks really good. And then you sort of commit, like, what, four matches of your season mm-hmm. to, to playing Frawley at 10, only to discover what you already knew, that he's he's not a 10. Like, you've got better 10s in your squad. So then we're sort of talking about, like, the idea... So, so my thing is, one of one of the... I call it a truism that I've, I've kind of come around to is the idea of players who get picked by multiple coaches. And, like, Gervin was the one that Des always you know, would have referred to and gone, well, like, you know, people maybe don't rate him, but, like, all the guys who train teams, they always pick him. Mm-hmm. It's like every coach picks Rob Kearney. Every coach has the, oppor- you know, the opportunity to pick him, picks him. So he must be doing something right. So then you kind of take not quite the inverse of that, but, you know, a slightly opposite view, and you go, Leinster see Frawley and the Burns all the time, and they pick the Burns ahead of him. And I found a quote from Goodman about something that he said about Harry Byrne. And Goodman said, I was excited, but at the start, he wasn't really training consistently. So when he did come on, I love the speed with which he sees things and the speed with which he can move the ball. It's a real point of difference for him. Now, he's only talking about one of the players, but like the coaches see the players all the time. They see them in training. They see them in all the matches. They they review the tapes. Like They see where the differences are. So they're not sort of going, oh, we'll give Harry a go because, you know, we like his mum. Or we'll give Harry a go because, you know, like it's his name is Byrne. Or like we'll give Ross a go because, you know, he won the coin toss or something. Like, it, it, like they're picking the team to win. And if they thought that Karen Frawley was the best out half to win consistently, they'd pick him. Like they wouldn't even, they wouldn't even consider it. So like, as you said, like Frawley was on the bench for Leinster against La Rochelle in a match that had gone against Leinster after the 20th minute, and they still didn't bring him on. So, it like, it's not trying to damn him, but it's just, like, it's one game. The team he was playing against weren't expecting him to play there. So, like, hold your horses. And I would say for Leinster that the better off looking at, at Harry Byrne and Sam Prendergast at out half rather than Kieran Frawley over the next few games, with, with Frawley as a bench option to play as much as they think is suitable particularly in a 5-3 split, rather than thrown in on something that they've tested already. And it kind of pains me to say that because I'm still a big Frawley fan, but I I just, from what I've seen in his career to date, I can't see it changing. But he's capable of playing really well because like, he's a big athlete, he can run, he can tackle, he can kick, he's got all the skills. Oh, what a ball striker. Okay, but what about win today, win tomorrow? So Kieran Frawley is uh, big and can do all those things well. And Sam Prendergast is a project for the future. He's a 21, two-year-old. 20, I think. 20-year-old. Maybe 21. He's uh, clearly really talented, but scrawny, not physical enough uh, yet. And probably can get faster or more dynamic, maybe is a better way of saying it. Uh, does Kieran Frawley not address a load of those things in the interim? And like, And has he not played better at out half than Harry Byrne actually has for Leinster. Well, Harry, Harry, Harry Byrne addresses them. And, like, has he? Like, when Harry plays six games in a row, Harry gets better as, you know, in his fourth, fifth, and sixth game. Harry Byrne's been injured for most of his, of his Leinster career. Um, now, Harry Byrne's problem is that he... He like he bites at things. He 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 always wants to make the superstar play, um, and particularly when the stakes are higher, rather than just having the faith of of going through it. And sort of surprisingly, like I mean, the thing that really killed me last year was when 
he almost dummied the kickoff and got all the Leinster forwards offside and the scrum had to be called back at half time. And you're just there going, Harry, just kick the fucking ball. It's just a restart. Like, don't, you don't have to kick the perfect restart. <laughs> like, just get it away, you know? And he does stuff like miss touch or he kicks it too far, or, you know, or he takes it on himself because, because he's been injured so much. I think he's, he's constantly trying to prove how good he is. And like, I, I always get, don't always, but like I've got that impression with Harry for the last two, maybe three seasons. Yeah. And that's the bit that you're sort of going, is this like you're trying to make up for something? Or like is this temporary? They're trying to make up for injury? Or is this the way you play the game? Because if it's the way you play the game, you're fucked. Like <laughs> they may as well just discard you because you can't do that at the top level. You know? It's not about you trying to prove something and you can't keep making those mistakes in, in big pressure environments. You yeah, Maverick. To, yeah. <laughs> yeah, abs- absolutely. You want Iceman there. You don't you don't want Mav like <laughs> or grumpy Iceman. Um the ice, but if it's yeah. but if it's if it's if it's a mental thing, like if it's just if it's something that he can get over, like Harry Bird is a gifted out half. Yeah, like it's it's not the last game. The game before that, he threw that amazing cutout pass for Frawley to score. Um oh, such a good pass. His 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 Passing ability, like he's thrown, even including Mazar, he's thrown the best pass I've seen. And it was a fucking real <laughs> obscure one. It was for Leinster A one time he was playing, but he threw this like a, a, a cut out three people with a pass. Pass left his hands with the one height, traveled it its entire distance uh, at the same height, hit somebody perfectly in stride, cut out three people. It was fucking incredible. It's like three and a half, four years ago at this stage. But he still throws amazing passes. Now, he's always trying to throw the wonder pass. And he's always trying to kick the perfect kick. Uh, and as you said, like, I'm just repeating what you said, because it's true. Like, he overreaches too frequently. Um, and then the other the other element. Of, so that's, that's one weakness. And the second weakness is, like, fucking getting injured. Like, Harry's first season, he played in 10 games uh, as a nipper, you know, just directly after his under-20s. And then he played in more. And I remember he played 10 for only 12. So in November and October. And they just crucified. It, was, it was, looked like, Jesus, this is, this is how Leinster are going to line up. You know, within a couple of years, it's going to be Harry Byrne 10 and for only 12. Then COVID kicked in and other things. And, and his injuries, getting injured at really inopportune times. Not the ones I'm thinking of are directly in the in the build up to a European game against Northampton, I think, and then missing the New Zealand tour, which he was selected for. Um, like these, he, he doesn't mean to do those, but like getting soft tissue injuries like that. He got injured. He was meant to start against Montpellier in a December in a in a Heineken Cup final, and he got injured in the warm up with his back. And Ross started and played well because Leinster monster Montpellier. Or no, it was it Northampton? It was Northampton, sorry, in the RDS. But like. What's happening now is so obvious that, like, you almost knew it was going to happen, so it's, it shouldn't be any surprise. But, like, Leinster have one of the greatest players of all, you know, of one of the greatest Leinster players of all time playing that pivotal number 10. He retires, right? So he's gone from the squad, and you can sort of go, oh, he was gone for a lot of last season, and Ross started a lot. But, like, he, he's gone. He, there was always the potential of him coming back in December and playing matches for the last 15 seasons. And then you go, oh, but Ross will come in. He's the conservative one. And then Ross never gets injured. So he gets injured. So now you're faced with three guys who are good, but all of whom, like, have, there's there's constraints on their play. And you, you sort of have to go, well, which one do you pick? And it's, I think even in, in win today, win tomorrow, like, I don't think Frawley guarantees you. Like, my, my thing is, if Frawley did guarantee you, he'd be starting ahead of Ross Byrne anyway in win today, win tomorrow. That's, that's I guess, my, my thing. Yeah. And I came out of that game going uh, uh, the opposite view to you go pick Frawley for the next two matches and now I'm sort of rethinking that because what you've said makes sense especially the fact that they see like as a as a paying rugby fan you see 80 minutes of a week and and the coaching staff see you know they see seven or eight hours on the pitch more than we see so let, let, let's say Frawley gets picked. If Frawley plays well for the next two matches, you're going, this is absolutely brilliant. 
this this has fallen into our laps. It wasn't necessarily going to happen. We knew this guy had the ability, or we thought this guy had the ability, but now it's coming to fruition finally. And it's like it couldn't come at a better time after Johnny Sexton's retired, and he just rides off into the sunset. He didn't ride off into the sunset, but like, he brings Leinster deep into playoffs as you know they're starting number ten. But my suspicion is that he just plays more fullback for the rest of the season because, like, it hasn't happened yet, so why should it happen now? Well, here's what might happen. He stays fit with an opportunity at 10 and there's a new coach who might like him because he sees him, you know, sees all the good things about him, doesn't think about all the things he hasn't seen in training before. That's why it might happen. Absolutely, yeah, and and it goes back to that confidence thing. Like, you know, if the if the coach has confidence in him, if if Frawley has the confidence that you know his and his his performances get better, and he sort of he he believes that he he, you know, because like look, he was there under Lancaster, and whatever way it was, he wasn't getting picked as the starting out half under Lancaster consistently. So you've got to sort it down. Well, like you know, does Lancaster see him as an out half? So exactly as you say, if Nianaber comes in. And goes, I completely believe in this guy. He reminds me of Pollard. Like, I mean, if like if you keep on getting told, <laughs> you're more than likely to believe it. It doesn't mean it's going to come true, but like you know, believing it is is kind of a lot of the battle. Yeah, and Farrell as well sees him as a yeah sees him as a ten. So it's yeah, that's a it's a big question mark. But your point is is really well made. Like it's a new coach. There's an awful lot uh, who's only arrived earlier this week. Um, there's there's a there's still the pieces are now in place more or less for Leinster, but it's still a new it's a lot of a new regime. Like there's the only non-moving part. There's two sorry no, two like there's um, the scrum coach McBride and then Leo, uh, but there's a lot of otherwise parts that have moved and have yet yet to settle. So um, you know. There's more. There's more in play. Like there's more players. Like Ninaber will be familiar with, to some extent, Leinster from his previous stint at Munster. To I would say um, a larger extent, his familiarity with the current Irish players from having studied them as opponents in uh, in the World Cup. But he, it, there'll be a lot of Leinster players with whom he's not familiar, and there's he might. Like this, that's sort of really exciting, and uh, like that uh, he might take a different view on, well, like, and he's not he's not selecting the team. Leo's selecting the team, so you're not going to see some fucking weird shit happen. But um, yeah, I find that to be fascinating as well because um, there's so much uh, because there's so many Irish players in the Leinster squad. There's so much uh, IRFU kind of player management that goes into picking the Leinster team and I was I, I was curious as to who was who would actually pick the team because yeah my understanding is Leo always picks the team like yeah. that it's not he doesn't just cut across like if it's not like in uh, Moneyball where he goes this is the team I want picked and Leo just Moneyballs the shit out of it my understanding is like oh, like there's that's not there's uh, there's like there's back and forth in it, but Leo, Leo picks it. Um, yeah, just because like say or like Charlie Natai, been very good at the start of the season, and then it's just like it's time for Robbie's reintroduction, so he's out in his ear, as it were, and then we don't we, and Osborne same position, and, yeah, and then we don't like bring on the sixth forward sub until the game's over, which is like that's just uh, so yeah. you know it just struck struck me as sort of an like odd selection. I didn't understand. I don't think I don't think that made. That made sense. Normally, I think the selections are very legible, and that one I just didn't get. Like, there's, there's, you know, players back rows that weren't picked: Baird, Deeg, and Connors, Ruddock, and and then you you bring on your your second back row sub after Penny had already come on for Vanderflair. You bring one on eighty one minutes, and you go well, that, like you essentially played twenty two versus twenty three, and you and you go like. Why do you want to take off? And I guess this is the reason he didn't come on for that long. I was like, why do you want to take off Doris or Conan? So I think with Nian Aber, the other thing that struck me apart from the 6-2 bench was Shawnee was running the water bottles as defense coach. 
Um, and even from the first try, so ju just going back to the match, I Robbie Henshaw, so when in the build-up to Munster's try, like in the same move when Munster were in their own half and um, the, the ball was going wide, Henshaw ran up and absolutely stuck one on Scannell. Mm -hmm. And Scannell isn't really a rival of his for the Ireland jersey. Like, he's he's not a... Like, he's not Stockdale, he's not Bundy a key where you sort of go, like, you know, I need to do this guy just, just, just to remind, you know, just to make it clear to everybody here. So it was, it was an odd call by Henshaw, who's an extremely good defender. Like, why didn't he push out on that? Because it was, you know, like Munster were shaping up and yeah, the numbers and the out there. Yeah, the space was there. So you're sort of going... And then I thought the Leinster D-line was a bit disjointed. Now, they did play Gibbo as a shooter. Um, particularly early on, but the, the, their line seeds seemed to be off. They were kind of dog-legging a lot. Um, so I was kind of curious. They didn't look like a team that was comfortable defending as they were. They didn't they didn't seem very well-oiled. Uh, or so they didn't feel sort of cohesive or, or connected, is, is the phrase du jour. Um, and then Shawnee on the water bottle. So one of the things that Jerry Flannery said about Neonaber is Neonaber's route into professional rugby was first of all SNC, and then he became a defence coach. He knew Razzie from when they did military service in South Africa with each other. They were pals, and he, because he's a qualified physio, he was always allowed practice. Like he was, he was on with the bag on the touchline. And what Flannery said about him was that's unusual, but. He's able to give the players like immediate feedback. Mm -hmm. He's able to come on the pitch, and and tell them things and like stuff that they'll prep for. Yeah, but he'll give them triggers and he'll tell them like you know whatever, do this or do that, and like it won't be new to them. It'll be stuff that they've trained for, and he'll see that the way that the opposition are lined up, and he'll tell them to do it. So, I I can't remember Shawnee doing the water before, but I don't really pay attention to it. But I, I'm just sort of I am very curious whether Nianaber. Um, is able to do that with Leinster. Like, I don't know, like, are his qualifications as a physio or the international? Is that the way it works? Like, do Leinster have him registered as a physio? Do you have to be qualified as a physio in Ireland to 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 be on the touchline? Or is, like, if you're qualified as a physio anywhere, can you be part of the medical staff and just come and go? As, like, is he, is that, does he want to be at that level on the pitch, coach in Leinster? Um... And was that sort of the role that Shawnee was playing? Or is Shawnee going to be doing the water all season and coming on with those messages that Neonaber is going to be giving him through a headset? Um, so that was that was the match. And shit, where do we start? I've completely gone off on a tangent here. So the other thing with the, the strength and conditioning and the, the, the player welfare is that I think that of all the head coaches, I think Neonaber is going to know the most about how you prepare guys, what their physiological scores are, when do you take them off. And like the South African sort of coaching staff was by miles the most animated mm. during the World Cup. Like by miles from like Razzie running his kind of his downfall bunker-esque sort of tactics to Felix Jones running through whatever um, sort of analysis he'd done to Nian Aber looking at the stats of like the physiology and they take off different players at different times, like apart from Peter Steptoy, but like, you know, even Etzebeth emptied the tank in the quarterfinal and he was he was gone. Khaleesi as well. 50 minutes. Khaleesi, the gone captain. all the time, coming yeah. back from it, like this totemic captain, 45 minutes, 50 minutes, 45 minutes. But then they kept guys on for a long time in the final because there's no match next week. And you look at it and you go, look, if you want to win a World Cup, you have to play... Like, you might have to play four big matches in four weeks. If you've got, like, a make-or-break pool match as your final game, and then quarter-final, semi-final, final, that's in three weeks, four consecutive weekends. You can't have guys play 80 minutes at the quality that they need to play to beat the opposition that they need to play for 80 minutes in four weekends. Yeah. Now, you can have them do it for, like, 55 minutes or 50 minutes or whatever, and then when the final... They might be prepped. And you could hear Razzie talk about the amount of minutes that they played. And again with Razzie going, like, is he is he just stirring the shit out of it? Is he just putting doubt in people's head? Like, who fucking knows? Or is the guy just like, as we call him, like an absolute rugby savant who's kind of going, like, how do you guys not know this? Yeah. Like you don't know, because like you just know and things. Because he is terribly full of shit as terribly well. Terribly full of shit. But the point, sorry, my point being with the six-two split is the six-two split enables you to do that. 
But like your team has to condition themselves a certain way for 6-2 to make sense. And you've got to go to it with conviction. Like you can't pick Culhane on a 6-2 split when you're going, I've already picked Penny. So Penny's only coming on for Josh, which means I'm gonna pick up, I'm gonna take off either Darris or Conan, who are our two best players on the pitch, to get Culhane on because we've another big match next week. And you're going, you don't have another big match next week. You're playing Connacht in the URC. Like, it's a match that you could lose, but you're not playing Munster in the semi-final of the URC and then playing La Rochelle the following week. They're two big matches. Or, like, you're not playing, you know, the Bulls and then playing, like, Saracens in the Heineken Cup. Like, they're two big matches. Like So th- these big matches can come in different combos. But playing, like, home and then an away Interpro in weeks, like, seven and eight of the URC, like... That's not where you get your theory tested. So it just it didn't make any sense to me, mm. particularly when of your two backs, one of them is Ben Murphy, who's like, I don't think he's ever started a match for Leinster. I think he's only come on in games. Has he ever started a match? Could be. I could be wrong here, but like... I think he might have... Leinster's fourth choice. Yeah, might have started one. Yeah. So Did let's he say he started one. He's still left his fourth the, choice out half. So then Africa sort of last year, or maybe against Munster the season pre the season previous. But anyway, oh, did he tour? He did tour. Finton yeah. Gunn didn't. Finton get Gunn tour, but didn't in play. South Africa. Yeah. So let's say Murphy got picked yeah. in one of those matches. So like, as could easily happen, like your one of your backs gets injured in the first ten minutes, you have to put on Frawley. Yeah. Which means like Finton Gunn is covering the rest of your back line, with Robbie Henshaw playing his first game back. In his second, le- like in his with one match behind him, and you're going like that, like that doesn't make sense. Yeah. So whatever about Roundtree picking Zebo at fullback, that was an odd one. Really. Your point is is very good about like I was just thinking of you know exercise physiology and like lifting weights, and when you go if you do eighty minutes, it's like going to complete muscle fatigue, you know, and you're going instead of leaving any like reps in reserve. And you're going, okay, now do it again. You're going, fucking can't. <laughs> do you know if you're going like, oh, I'm going to do like a, a hundred press-ups this morning. And you go, okay, how how is the best thing to do it? Like do 10 sets of 10 and, you know, try and get them done in whatever, eight minutes or something. Or so go, I'll just do like the max I can do first. And then like see how many more I can do. You're going, you're goosed. You know, those like 10 sets of 10 is a better way to approach it. So do you plan it out methodically rather than just going... Oh, we're going to go to failure and then I'll go to failure again. Like your next go- set of going to failure those press is going to be like four press-ups, you know? That's a good way of saying it. So that element of what he brings in, like his relationship with his, the medical staff, the physiology, all of it, like will be, it's a big difference from Lancaster. Yes. Yep. Um, e- even, even the emphasis on defense rather than attack and, like just talking about that idea of you know attack win matches defense wins championship and that like that doggedness and like being being a difficult team to play against which is 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 an interesting idea because it's it's not as sexy no but hey people people like a lot of people really dislike South Africa yeah but even the Ravens even in oh because the, the Ravens oh, <laughs> <laughs> Go on, you, you say the Ravens. Well, I was going to say, this, the contemporary edition of the Ravens are like, they're, I don't know, they're, they're also, as I keep on coming back to, watching loads of NFL. <clears throat> I just think they're going to be in the Super Bowl against the Eagles. I think they're, they're a real nasty team and they have yeah. Lamar as their, as their... Anyway, why am I doing NFL, a bullshit NFL analysis? But yeah, the Ravens, they're just like, they're a team who's, who like were built on an absolutely bastardly defense. Yeah, and, and I've maintained that identity for like 20 years. Yeah. And I, 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 I couldn't help, and maybe just to be the last thing we said about this game, that Robbie Henshaw running out the smash <coughs> scannel, which like left a massive hole in our uh, line, which Munster exploited. I couldn't help but think that like we were talking in the previous game where Leinster's front rows in particular were smashing lots of scarlet sides, and it seemed to be like a re- renewed aggression in like just the contact hits and also the the, the last turnover that Leinster made in their own 22 to, to turn over Munster. I think Munster were running out of juice a bit, but there was a lot of really dominant hits mm. in that. And was it a renewed, is it a kind of like 
is there kind of like some messages going over saying like, let's, we're going to focus on smashing the shit out of people in tackles. Or is it lads being like, oh, we've got a new South African coach. I better go out and smash. I think it's the second one. Like I'd say they've had Sean O'Brien since the beginning of the season. He's just telling them to smash everybody. <laughs> smash them, lads! Smash them! <laughs> sir, sir! Sir, smash them! I'll, I do want to make the point, um, for the second week in a row, I want to call out a Leinster player and his tackle technique. John McCarthy is getting a lot of love, but he does not follow through on his tackles at all, and he needs to sort that out. Like, he missed a bad tackle against Glasgow, where your man went past him on the blind. I think it was Glasgow. No, no, it was no, the, yeah, Scarlet's. It's game. Guy went past him far too easy on the short side, and he just didn't get to it. And then against Munster, he made a number of hits, and then he just goes on the ground. And like you, you gotta follow through if you're a big guy. So like, there's a lot of excitement about McCarthy, but like if you take Tyke Byrne, he's been Ireland second, starting second row. He's miles off at the moment. Now he's he's got a big upside. But, like, I love players who can tackle. I love Will Connors. Yeah. I, lo- I loved Rekhart. Like, I loved Levy. You, you see a guy who can tackle properly and you go, he's a rugby player. Like, you can, you can, you can, te- like, you can teach him the rest. But yeah. you got you got to want to tackle. I think McCarthy makes good tackles like that. I, I think, it's, I don't think it's a, it's like every tackle he makes is like that. I think that sometimes he doesn't, rap and he makes a hit and then just doesn't I, I suppose I suppose there's a difference in it's kind of the the opposite of being a goal scorer it's like you see Andy Cole and I was chatting about Andy Cole on points last week that Andy Cole would miss so many opportunities but then you go he gets more opportunities than any footballer I've ever seen in my life and Apart you go Darwin. and <laughs> and you go like he he ends up scoring a lot of goals even though he misses more so by the kind of the, the corollary of that is like by getting into the opportunity to make the tackles and making the hit like is very important. Like finishing off should be the easy bit. You've done all the hard bits. Like mm. you're in the right place. You've made the hit. You just keep pumping your legs and keep your eyes up. Like keep your back. Like to keep your eyes up but keep your back straight and just keep your legs pumping and just like that's the enjoyable bit of the tackle. You've done all the hard work, but like if he if he sorts that bit out, it's a massive jump for him, challenging to be an Irish second row. But that's the great thing about competition. Yeah. Well, apparently there are some other sports teams playing rugby, but we're not going to talk about any of them this week. Exercise. 